Thrive Church, how are we doing this morning? Good, good. Um, so for me, yes, the, uh, my allergies have been terrible. I haven't slept. It's been really bad. I'm taking like three different allergy medicines. But you know what? The blooms are worth it because I love me some spring flowers, right? So I'm going to suffer through temporarily, you know, for, for the gospel in order to, no, not for the gospel, but that. Um, it was also, I, I counted, you know, how many times Keith kept saying your, your mom during that. It was like, it was just really funny. My, my son's in that your mom thing now. So like he makes that joke and Keith kept saying it during announcement. So um, yeah, that was my uh, middle schoolness coming out in me. <laughs> um, next week, let me say this too. I'm going to really make this uh, important as well. It's going to be a big day next week. We've opened up an 8.30 a.m. service. Um, I know some of you are like, really? Got to get up that early? Um, please do that because uh, if you don't, we're going to have to like put you over in an overflow room over there somewhere. Um, it's going to be really packed. And so if you will, take a mission trip and come to the 8.30 a.m. service so guests can, right? So guests can come to the 10 a.m. If Jesus can rise from the dead... You can get out of your bed. Amen? Right? Tell yourself that this week and mentally prepare, prep yourself for that. Um, well, if you just joined us, we're in a series in the book of Acts. And what we're doing is after Easter, we wanted to kind of carry you through the sequel to the gospel. Right? Because it didn't end with the resurrection. The story of what's happened at Easter is a movement that we're still part of today. Right? Called Christianity. And so we want to walk you through. And we'll be walking through the book of Acts all the way through September. And I'm really excited about that. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, one of the things that you probably are careful of if you're a parent is what children your child hangs out with. Matter of fact, one of the things that's probably the most important influence in a child's life is their circle of friends. Because there's a certain point that a child begins to detach from the parent as the friend and forms their circle of friends, and that's their influence. And I've noticed this in my son's age, even at an early age, when he hangs out with certain kids and he comes back to me, i got to unteach him things. Because he's like, he's giving mannerisms and he's doing stuff. And like, he had some neighbors who were really good kids, but they just had some weird mannerisms. And he'd come back doing that. I had to say, hey, buddy, let's not do that. He's like, why? I was like, Cause it, it, it's just kind of weird. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you out. Like, you know, like, 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 like we, people just don't do that. They don't make those faces and do those things. And it was neat teaching them that, but I could tell the influence that certain children had on his life. And in the same way, what I want to do this morning as we look at Acts chapter 4 is I want you to survey the influence of not what people have in your life, but does Jesus have influence in your life? And what does that look like? And can, tell, and can people tell that you've been under the influence of Jesus or been around your friend and your king, Jesus? Because in Acts 4, that's what we see happening. Now, realize again the backdrop of Acts is really important. It's a 30-year history of the early church written by the only non-Jewish writer named Luke. And what's cool about that, it's kind of a two-part book where he writes the first half of this book from a they perspective. He studied. It was research. He asked questions. And then in Acts chapter 15, 16, he joined the Apostle Paul and their team, and then it became we. And he wrote it from a first-hand perspective. And what, Acts, I mean, what Luke wanted to do with Acts is he wanted to follow up with his friend Theophilus. He sat down and wrote on a papyrus scroll with, I mean, ink. It was really hard to do. He wrote this really long letter called the Gospel of Luke. And then he follows up and says, hey, Theophilus, it didn't end there. I know you're trying to figure out Christianity and figure out this whole movement, so let me write this to you. And it's called the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. And what we see is, is that Jesus ascended to heaven, 
And he told them, go to the upper room and wait and pray, and the Holy Spirit's going to fill you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost part. So what happens? The Holy Spirit fills them. People start getting saved. It is beautiful in Jerusalem. Jews are becoming Christ followers, believing on Christ as their Jewish Messiah. But here's what happens. And we saw last week, if you were here in chapter 3 of Acts, what we saw was they healed a man that was lame from birth at the temple gate called Beautiful. They healed him, and we thought, man, that was great. We, I left you on that really high note. But what happens next is persecution comes. The Jewish religious leaders are not happy because now it threatens their whole religious system because they're calling Jesus the Messiah. They're saying he, he rose from the dead, and they're saying they have power and authority in him. And they start to get scared because they remember how powerful Jesus and his movement was, and they thought they had crushed that by crucifying him. So look at Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the, peace, uh, the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. Now, this is important. Two groups of religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed there was a resurrection. They were Jewish religious leaders. The Sadducees says there is no resurrection from the dead. So they were really ticked at Peter and John. So these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men, this is just men, who believed now totaled about 5,000. Somebody said, wow, could you imagine that? That's, I mean, that's a powerful move there. Verse 5 says, the next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power and in whose name have you done this? And verse 8 is actually validation of the resurrection of Jesus, and I'll show you why. Verse 8 says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, pause for a second. If you're like, well, Christianity is a hoax, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, um, it was all just made up. And, and, uh, Why would Peter, a man who ran away from Jesus, scared to die only 60 days earlier, is now standing in front of the same people who crucified Jesus, and he's, and he's literally pointing and poking their chest, saying, come at me, bro. I follow Christ. What happened? He experienced the resurrected Jesus. What happened? He got filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you doubt the resurrection, the very fact that Peter is now standing up to the very people he ran away from, he would not have, he would have come back and be like, oh yeah, you know, I was really scared to die, but let's come up with this elaborate hoax that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's all make this little bond and let's just kind of like lie about it. Yeah, I'm really cool about dying now for it. That's not going to happen, y'all. Like, like, like Peter at that point now, we know that he saw Jesus resurrected. We know he was filled with the Holy Spirit because this is what he said. Rulers and elders of our people. We are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for, or are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, he starts quoting the Jewish uh, Torah, starts quoting the law and the prophets. The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And look what Peter says, there is no, there's salvation in no one else. 
God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had what? Been with Jesus. Men who had been with Jesus. What I want to do today is to show you the parallel of your life with Peter and John. And that if you're going to see God use you in his power and use you to do things for the kingdom, it will not come because you want to do things for the kingdom. If you want to see God use you and use your life, it won't become because you have a great desire to be used. Yes, that is important. But the principle I want to show you today is way more important than just the desire to want to be used by God. It's what most people never tap into. It's what most believers never understand, and that's why they never fulfill their potential, as we said last week, or their purpose. And here's what it is. We have to understand they had been with Jesus, just been with Jesus. And what I want to do today is tell you this. If you have your notes, write this down, and this is very important. Jesus calls us to be with him instead of just working for him. Jesus calls us to be with him instead of just working for him. Now, let me clarify, working for Jesus is important. It's good to serve the Lord. He wants us to serve. Some of you don't serve at all. Like, and I got to, you know, I believe saved people serve. That's what I believe. I always have my whole life. Like, ever since I gave my life to Jesus. But you cannot, and you cannot substitute working for God and doing things for God and a desire to do things for God. You cannot supplement and substitute that for being with Jesus. That's what he asks of you first. He's not asking you to do great things for the kingdom. He's not asking you to go, go try a bunch of really hard stuff and, and, and get in over your head. The call of, of, of relationship is the most important call, and he's calling you and me to be with him. And when you're with him, people will know the difference in your life. People will see your life transform because you've been in the presence of God. And what that means is this. There's many different ways to spend time with Jesus, but it's got to be intentional. Where you open up worship music. You put worship on, man. Worship unlock. I mean, worship is what God desires from us. You open the scriptures because that's God's word to you. You begin to internalize that. And you begin to be transformed by his presence. And listen, I believe thoroughly in counseling. I go through counseling. I read a lot of books on emotional health and healing and wholeness. I'm like, I am just consumed with that. I love it. Like, it's just something that the Lord's worked in me. But can I tell you the greatest transforming power that many of us miss is just being in the presence of the Lord. It's good to be in the presence of church. But you cannot supplement being in the presence of God which is being in the presence of church and presence for people and working for God. You know, um, Jesus talked to a church at the church of, called Laodicea. In the book of Revelation, he addresses seven churches. And he says good things about them, but then he comes and says, hey, I got somebody to talk to you about. And the church of Laodicea is the most un misunderstood church in all the seven. Christians have totally butchered that passage. Because he says, here, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. Well, you better be hot for your faith or cold, right? Just don't believe it all or believe all in, but don't be lukewarm. That's not what he means. There are pipes who brought in water to the city, and there's a very rich city. So they, they expected really hot water or really cold water. They didn't want water just kind of in the middle. And what that meant was this. Number one, Laodiceans were rich. 
They had a lot of money. And they, they had these high standards for things. So that's number, the first thought is that. God doesn't want you cold for him or nothing at all. That is not what he's asking. There's seasons in your life you're going to feel like you. There's seasons you're really on fire for God. And there's seasons you just say, man, you're just trying to get through. Can I just be honest with you? And God's okay with that. He's with you. So don't butcher that. The other part of the church of Laodicea is this. He says to them, I stand at the door and knock, and if you'll let me in, I'll come and have a meal with you. A lot of Christians, my grandmother had that picture of Jesus, the European Jesus on the wall, blue eyes and brown hair, and he's white, right? He probably spoke like this in the King James. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'll come in and sup with you. And she would tell me, and she's a good lady, she's in heaven, that if you accept Jesus in your heart, you, you'll be saved. That, that's really good. I mean, I, I'm, that's, that's not what that means, though. Here's what Jesus was upset about with the church at Laodicea. He says they were indifferent. Indifferent. Eh, eh. He said, I want to come in uh, into your heart and have relationship, intimacy with you. But that's not what you want. He says, you do a lot of good things for the kingdom. I'm glad you work for the kingdom. Congratulations. Pat on the back. But what I need from you it's not you trying to work for me. It's me being with you and sitting with you and spending time with you and hearing your heart. And can I tell you, as your pastor, that's what I desire for you guys. I mean, I'm, glad, I'm really glad you're at church. I'm glad you're watching online. It's really wonderful. Um, but my, I prayed this week. I came in Friday, and I went over this, and I prayed. And every chair you're sitting in, I prayed for you. And what I prayed was this, that you would actually have a hunger for the Lord. Because my fear is in westernized Christianity, we're, we're, we're so programmatic, we've lost hunger for Jesus. We don't need him anymore. The Laodiceans didn't need God because they had everything else, all the physical stuff. Have you ever noticed when, when, when something physically is taken from you, something emotionally is taken from you, that's when you start to seek God the most? And when you have everything, you get comfortable, and you start getting judgmental and critical, and you just picking everybody, but you're not in the presence of God and spending time with God, and that's where they were at. And so here's, here's my fear. If we don't understand that we are sons instead of servants, we will end up serving the wrong purpose. If you don't understand that you're sons and daughters of God, and not just servants, you're going to serve the wrong purpose. Some of the, the key premise of Galatians and Romans is that you have been given sonship. Now, yes, daughtership too, but in the first century, sonship had the inheritance. And so Paul spoke to everybody, men and women, speaking of this thing called sonship, meaning that now you're co-heirs with Christ, and that now you can call God Abba, Father, Daddy. That was not known to the Jews before that, and certainly Gentiles didn't buy into all that. And what I want to tell you is this, many of us still believe we're just here to serve God. When God says, yes, I want you to serve me, but your first call is to be a son or a daughter to me, to spend time with me, to be in my presence. You know, for, for my son, um, I know there's a lot of dads, and I've watched this, I've, I've stepped back from coaching, and here's the thing that I realized. When I coached my son in sports, number one, it didn't go so well because I'm his loving daddy, and he couldn't understand why his loving daddy was yelling at him. <laughs> But I, I watch a lot of dads who coach, and the reason they coach is that they, they want to get their sons to be the quarterback or the point guard or get all the playing time, right? They're like, yeah. That's why they coach. They're living vicariously through their children to make them the athlete they never were. And I, start, you know, I got to a point in my life where I said, you know what, number one, what sports is for my son and I 
is not for him. He's never, God, I don't think he's going to make the NBA. I don't know. I, don't, I, I doubt it. Sometimes at this age, you can tell the savants, the ones who got it. They got the height. They got the skills. I mean, that's fine. The reason I play sports with my son outside, and we go through every sport there is, we go hit golf balls, we'll throw football, we shoot basketball, we do everything, is not because I want him to be a great athlete. It's because I want to have a great relationship with him. That's why I do that. That's why I got up this morning, and we're playing Fortnite together with the new, made the fourth update, right? The goal isn't for him to, be, to, to become something for me, to do something for me. The goal of that is relationship. I just want to be with him. I just want to have fun with him. I'm not trying to make him into the next Tom Brady or make him into Jerry Rice or make him into the next Pistol Pete. I just want to be with him. And can I tell you, many of you think that your heavenly father wants you to become that NBA pro athlete in the kingdom. Many of you think God is just trying to get you to do something and become something for him when he just wants to be with you. He just wants to spend time with you. And that's where we miss it. And we'll end up serving the wrong purpose in our relationship with our Father. We'll miss the intimacy that God desires with us. And we'll miss what that intimacy can do for us. And we'll serve the wrong purpose. But it's being in the presence of God that will change you. I'm thankful, man, that the church I got saved in was a very spiritual church. I mean, like they were, man. They, they, I mean, they were like, you know, they, it wasn't weird. Like you went in, but it was like they were definitely like Pentecostal charismatic, right? And I didn't know the difference between anything when I got saved. I, did, I had no clue what anything meant. I just went in, and they clapped, and they raised hands and sang, and they prayed. But one thing they taught was this. They taught the prayer closet. And we had these, 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 these mamas and, and fathers in the church that were spiritual, good men and women that were business leaders in the community, and there were upstanding people, but they sought the face of God, and they taught me to do that. And they said, you need to have a prayer closet. And I went, and we had, we had one extra room in our house, and the closet was too small for me to fit in. <laughs> I said, well, that's not going to work. I was like, well, I didn't understand. I was, just, I was brand new to the faith. I just listened to this, and if I heard it, I'd just try to go and do it. So I went, I said, well, if I can't fit in the prayer closet, I'll put this little CD on. All I had was one that kind of played piano hymns, and I found this room, and I didn't really know how to pray, y'all. Like, I'd sit there, and I'd get on my hands and knees, and I'm like, and after about two minutes, I prayed for everything I need to pray for. <laughs> but here's something that really um, that happened in that time that was transformative. When I ran out of everything to pray for, I just sat there in the presence of the Lord. I just sat there in His presence. And I began to worship. I didn't know what I was doing. I began to pray, just kind of like just seeking Him, thanking Him. And over time, that was the most transformative time of my life where now I cannot live without my time alone with our Heavenly Father. And that's what transforms me. That, listen, everything I do today for ministry didn't come because I want to do great things in ministry. Matter of fact, I didn't know I was called to ministry. I didn't really even want to do ministry, right? That wasn't something I just, I just burned. It. People who burn the most to do something for God, you got to watch out for people like that because they may have ulterior motives of why they want to do it for God. Maybe it's more for them. I'm just, I'm just saying. It's the people who just want to seek the face of God and want to do whatever God lays before them. And that's what I did, and that's what I still do. And I think we mess up because we end up serving the wrong purposes because we don't know we're sons and daughters, and he wants to spend time with us. You know, Moses messed up with that. Moses goes to the top of the mountain. He meets with God, and he comes down, and he is shining so brightly that they're like, yo, Moses, you are, bro, we can't, like, like the glare off my head is nothing compared to what Moses looked like. <laughs> and he put a veil over 
to cover himself up. But they could tell he had been in the presence of God. He was different. But do you know where Moses messed up at? He didn't go back to the mountain to be in the presence of God. And he kept the veil. You know why he kept the veil on day after day? Because that glory and that glow has faded. And there was nothing there anymore. And he knew it. But he kept wanting to do things for God and, and have an image that he really was serving God. He kept the veil on to fool the people. Knowing deep down inside, he was not spending time in the presence of God. He began to serve the wrong purpose. He served the purpose of image. He began to serve the purpose of just serving God. But he lost that intimacy of being in the mountain, being in the presence of God. And let me tell you something. People can tell, people can sense your energy when you've been in the presence of God. The anointing goes with you into every environment you go into. You can walk into an environment that is totally at your work, totally antagonistic to the gospel, but people can sense the presence of God. You carry it with you. It's like Paul calls it a, a fragrance, a, a sweet-smelling fragrance, fragrance. And I want you, don't make the same mistake Moses did by covering yourself up with works and everything else that you're going to do. Get in the presence of God, but here's what you have to do if you're going to do that. And here's the decision that you have to make, and I've had to make is this. Choose being over doing. Doing's important. Thank you for all of those that serve here at Thrive. Right now, there are people who are taking care of your, your, your babies, taking care of your kids, right? And you can sit peacefully. Whew, somebody said amen. 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 All, all the parents of young children said amen. Still, yeah, 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 serving's good. But we cannot... Let doing overcome being, being in the presence of God, spending time with our Heavenly Father, learning from Him, Him speaking to us, Him transforming us. The very things you need to be transformed, some of it will never be done until you get into God's presence. Some of you need to get in God's presence so He can show you what to transform. Everybody else sees it, you just don't see it. And you keep blaming everybody else for these problems, and God's saying, I just wish you'd get with me because I need to talk to you about some things. Because everybody else, but you, but you don't see it. But you'll never see that until you choose being over doing. And can I tell you, for me, guys, you may think, well, that's easy for you because, man, you're a pastor. You just sit there and watch the Bible hover over your desk all week, and you just, oh, Lord, show me what you're going to speak this week. Man, it must be easy for you. Can I tell you the most detrimental thing to my relationship with God, what it's been? It's been ministry. Ministry has been the most hurtful thing for my relationship to God. Well, how could you say that? You do ministry. What I discovered was this. Doing the work of God did two things. It distracted me from the work of God in me. And it ended up destroying the work of God in me. Because I was so focused on doing, I stopped being. Well, I'm studying for a sermon. I kind of use that, right? Kind of, you know, digging in that little thing, right? I'm doing things for God. I'm praying for people. I'm praying for the church. And I realized over time that I was doing, not being. And the greatest gift that I can give you as a pastor is to just be in the presence of God, to spend time as a son in the presence of God. But I've got to choose, choose being over doing. And here's what you have to understand. Jesus' first call his, to his disciples was not go out and do something. Look at Mark 3:14. His first call to his disciples, which is super important, he said he appointed the 12 that they may do what? They might be with him. He appointed the twelve that they might be with him, and then he might send them, then that he might send them out to preach. 
We want to preach first, and then we'll be with God, or do something for God, and then we'll be. But Jesus first called the disciples, like, hey, boys, come here. Let's hang out. Spend time with me. Be with me. And that's the call that God has for us. And one of the popular passages, and you've probably heard this passage before, is in actually Luke chapter 10 about Mary and Martha. And I want to kind of just, you know, dispel some myths about that and then show you what Jesus really meant when he said the things he said. But Jesus shows up at Mary and Martha's house, and they know he's coming, and they're getting ready. And I want you to look at the interaction between Jesus and Mary and Martha. And it says in Luke 10, 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him, her into, uh, into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was what? Distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Then she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I'll, I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset about, over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, we always say that we should be Mary's and not Martha's. Can I tell you what Martha did was important? Did Jesus tell her not to cook the meal? <laughs> Cooking the meal was important. That's why he came to the house. Jesus got, he, he got hungry too. But the first priority wasn't cooking the meal for Jesus, it was being with Jesus. What he wanted first was for them to sit down and listen to him and have a conversation with him. He wanted Mary and Martha to sit and be with him instead of just doing things for him. And many of us in our life are so distracted by so many things that we never get time to just be with Jesus. And that's the, that's the most important part because that will fuel everything else that you will do in your life. And let me say this to you. You are being overdoing when you practice the power of presence. Power of presence. What does that mean? Power of presence. It means be in the presence of God. Yes, God's everywhere. But God, as Jesus said, God wants to come in and sup with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to spend time with you. Some of you have never done that before. And Jesus is saying, I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock to come in and meet with you. One of the things that, that I do, and, and I have many ways I spend time with God. There's times I walk and I pray. There's times I have focused prayer time. I come in and I pray for you, and I pray for me and our church. There's, there's journaling. I sit there and I journal, and I write down what the Lord's saying to me through his scriptures. There's times I just worship with worship music. But one of the things that I started doing last year when I went through a very, very tumultuous time in my life was I went to the sauna one day and I put ambient music on, on Pandora Radio and I just sat there. And the Lord gave me the scripture from a, from a spiritual mentor called Be Still and Know That I'm God and I'll be exalted in all the earth. And as I sit there, every time now what I do when I sit down at the sauna, I sit and the first thing I do is I quote Psalm 4610 by myself. And I quote, be still and know that I am God. And then I do this. I say, Kevin, first of all, you just need to be. I loosen my muscles and stop tensing up. I relax myself. And I just be in his presence. The next thing I do is I still myself. Still my thoughts, still my mind from going all the different directions. Because you have control over that. I have ADD, yeah, I mean, stop using that as an excuse. I'm just still in the presence of God, still my thoughts, still my heart before the Lord. And then I know, what does that mean? 
I start to engage my mind to focus on the Lord and to know that he is God in every situation. And then what I do, guys, I sit there, and what I'm going to share with, with, with you next are two things that I do. Number one, I do this, and you got to do this. You let the Lord minister to you. And I sit there with an open mind and an open heart and say, God, whatever you want to speak today, whatever you want to do in my heart, whatever images you want to show me, whatever thing you want to say to me, I am here, God. And this is called attunement. You, you've got to practice this. This doesn't happen just in one time. This is years of doing this. Well, the Lord begins to speak to my heart about things and show me things about my own life that he wants to correct and deal with. You've got to be careful around people, especially leaders, leaders who always are speaking to you about that you need to do something, but they can't tell you the last time God corrected them. You should ask a leader that sometimes. When's the last time God corrected you? What did he say? If they can't tell you off the cuff, then I'll really question if they're spending time with God. Because God comforts and he corrects. That's two things he does. And the Lord will sometimes comfort me and sometimes God, God will sometimes give me a pat on the back and sometimes a kick in the butt. But the first thing you have to do is you have to let the Lord minister to you. That's what he was doing with Mary. That's Mary, where God begins to speak to you and comfort you and help you and meet you where you're at. And all your pain, your hurt, your confusion, let the Lord minister to you. But the second thing we have to do, and this is very important, is this. Then you minister to the Lord. It says in Scripture over and over again, and then they ministered to the Lord. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say they ministered for the Lord. They ministered to the Lord. You know what the word minister means? It means to be attentive, to listen, to care for. And that's when you say, God, first of all, just begin to praise him, begin to exalt him, begin to tell him who he is in your life and do that, and then say, God, I want to be attentive to what you want in your kingdom. I want to do what you want me to do for your kingdom. I want to minister unto you, God. And that's how you begin to unlock everything God has for you. How you get from point A to point Z is not doing a lot of stuff for God. It's merely by spending time in His presence. And what you see with these disciples was not that they had special training. It wasn't they were really talented. What, that what was noticed was this. They noticed they had been with Jesus. People can notice if you've been with Jesus. And as your pastor, I am pleading with you this week be with Jesus spend time with Jesus open up worship music cry share your hurts with Jesus let him minister to you open the scriptures up and I guarantee friends your life will change and you know what's going to happen you'll have what I call unconscious transformation and unconscious impact what does that mean you won't even know you're changing and people say i know something different about you like really like what i don't know you just seem more peaceful i don't know there's something about about you i don't know what it is but there's something different and then people begin to notice things in you that you and then you'll make unconscious impact you'll start going around ministering to people not even knowing you're ministering having no clue you made an impact in somebody's life and changed their life forever because you have been in the presence of God and that is what this is what people need from us if we're going to live on mission if we're going to 
every and anywhere we go impact the world, we need to be in the presence of God. Amen? And I want you, amen, I want you this week to take time to do that. If you're a couple in here, some of you don't pray together. And if you do, it's so, as I said last week, so superficial. You need to pray and seek God together and read scriptures together and invite God's presence into your environment of your home. And I guarantee everything will begin to change in your life. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I pray that this would not just be a sermon, but God, this would be a message to the heart of every individual in here that is watching online. God, I pray that we would hunger for your presence. We would hunger to be worshipers, not doers. Lord, you just want to be with us. You just want to be with us. May we accept the invitation. You're knocking on the door of our heart right now. Lord, we accept the invitation and we open the door of our heart. Say that in your heart, say that in your mind. Even you can say that verbally. Lord, I open the door of my heart. I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. I thank you, Jesus, for wanting to be with us. As we're praying today, church, at this mode of prayer, maybe your first step of being with Jesus in intimate relationship is giving your life to Him. Maybe you walked away from Christianity. Maybe you were hurt. Maybe you just went astray after pleasures. And you say, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to serve Him fully. I want to work, I walk with Him. I want to spend time with Him. Or maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. If that's you today, right where you are, whether you're hitting here physically or watching online, I want you to confess Jesus as your Savior and your life to be changed forever because He wants to spend time with you. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to pray this prayer after me. You say, God, I need Jesus. I need the Savior. Today, I repent and turn from my old life. I leave that worthless life behind. I receive new life. I receive the forgiveness of sins. For I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe He rose again on the third day. And I believe He is Lord. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord. I am forgiven. I am saved. I am redeemed. I am your child. In Jesus' name we pray.